Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Catch us on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall and email us at dugoutstudyhall at gmail.com. I'm your host and expert layman Matt Goodwin, and I'm here, as always, with your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we'll talk about the Mandela Effect, the changing landscape of baseball, and the impact it has had and continues to have on the league and its players. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? You know, Matt, I am doing just fine today. How about yourself? I am melting up here in Connecticut. It is very hot and very humid, uh, not just here, but in the north northeast. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty uncomfortable. You might be able to hear the air conditioner humming away in the background. Um, that is absolutely necessary for quality of life at this point. It's, uh, it's pretty uncomfortable up here. Um, uh, and, and, and it also matches up with us making sure we talk about weather on every single episode, uh, coming in. Yeah. I think that's in our show constitution. I think it has exists. to be at this point. If we don't have one, we have to write it and that's going to be article two. Um, anything interesting happened to you so far this week or since we've last spoken? Um, I mean, plenty. <laughs> um, okay, I've... let me rephrase. Anything you want to share? That's <laughs> <laughs> I live a very past... interesting life, Matt. I, I, um... I don't. I do not doubt it. Probably far more dynamic than mine at this point. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I'm slightly exaggerating. Um. Yeah, actually, last week, uh, midweek, I went to an Orioles game. Um, mm. and that was a highlight for many reasons. One of which was um the ads that uh the camden like stadium people basically played reminding the orioles fans not to yell slurs when supporting the team kind of as an indirect don't say bad things to the astros it was really about the astros in particular Mm, it wasn't like about like worries otherwise but it was you know don't say really bad things about jose altuve um yep yep and did people listen (laughs) no and well he he made them quiet i think was the answer Uh, yeah he he had a bomb in that game. Everyone seemed like they got in on the action. It was thirteen nothing. Yeah, in favor yeah. of Houston. So, uh, not the prettiest game to be an Orioles fan, but it was just the prettiest night for baseball I've seen in so long. Yeah, and I mean that's the thing about baseball, right? You invest in going to a game, and you have to accept that it might be uh, not be the outcome that you you want, but still be able to find the enjoyment of the uh, the atmosphere, the evening, the fact that you get to see live baseball in person again. Uh, so that even if your team does get shellacked, uh, that happened to me a, a handful of times going up to Fenway too. Um, there's still other takeaways, right? It's still a good time. Yeah, uh, I was also there with a friend of mine who is from Houston. Um, oh, I, <laughs> the I, plot. This thickens. makes me actually um, a little bit like of an outlier um, in the baseball world, in that um, I know people who have been Astros fans for a long time. Mm. Uh, like I know people who supported them when they were good before they tanked. Like yeah, yeah. the pre-Hunter Pence Astros. You know, I lived in Texas <laughs> then, obviously. Yeah. And then I had friends who would show me the, here's the low lights of the week whenever they were like peak tank 2012-ish. Mm-hmm. They had some really bad moments. And then, you know, I got to see basically the like, as the draft picks were coming up, yep. as Altuve magically appeared out of nowhere, all of that <laughs> magic from the perspective of people who cared about it. So it's very interesting to take it all in now. And there's some fun loathing that they get to do. Um and I think that's kind of a good sign. So, well, there yeah. you go. You know, hey, baseball is fun in a lot of different ways. And hopefully that was just one of the, the ways you had a good time that night. Um, I want to get started here with a callback to our last episode. And, and uh, I'm going to actually call out myself for being really wrong and dumb about something. Uh, so hopefully that is enjoyable for you as well. Um, 
but I wanted, uh, have you heard of the Mandela effect? Do you know what this is? The Mandela effect? Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. I am the particular um, iteration of this that like most surprises me is the Berenstain bears. Yeah. Yeah. Berenstain bears. Yeah. I'm, I would really put money on, on that. I was actually looking it up today and uh, there were some examples and I was like, yeah, I don't think anybody gets confused by that. But then there were other ones where like, um, uh, tail on Curious George. A lot of people remember him having a tail. He doesn't have a tail. Stuff like that. So this is this was my Mandela effect moment on our, our episode last week when I said that Teoscar Hernandez was a cardinal. And you and <laughs> Vlad, Vlad Sedler, who was our guest, were both very polite in reminding me or pointing out, because it wasn't a reminder, pointing out that I was very, very wrong about the fact that he you know, never played for the Cardinals. I am telling you right now, before that moment, if you had asked me to put down a large wager on the fact that Teoscar Hernandez came from St. Louis, I probably would have done it with a lot of confidence. So I am chalking this up to the fact that at some point prior to us recording that episode, there was a dimensional shift and I went from one reality where Teoscar Hernandez absolutely came from the St. Louis Cardinals to this reality where he did not. Uh, so I, I just needed to, to bring that up because I'm not, I, I, I listened back and rather than being embarrassed about it, I'm just going to double down on being right in oh, yeah. a, in a yeah, new yeah. way. Um, I think that's a really creative solution to um, <laughs> the, the problem at hand. I also think it's just a generally good and responsible like opinion to have that like wouldn't doubt assume that the breakout outfielder was once a St. Louis Cardinal. Um, well, that's fair too, I suppose. I, I honestly have no idea where my wires got crossed up on this one, but I was absolutely convinced. Uh, and I was wrong. So there's that. Um, uh, any examples of that? You said that the Berenstein Bears were anything else that, that pops up in your memory or your, uh, your experience about believing um, something wholeheartedly and it turns out mm, not so much. I feel like um, the Fruit Loops one is like the other yeah, classic one that I yeah, do yeah. feel like I've kind of like, I don't actually know what the answer is at any moment. And I think that's kind <laughs> of part of it um, is that it's, it's really easy to have some like expectations that can be wrong all the time. Yeah. Um, so that you can kind of rediscover this phenomenon pretty often. Now, mind you, I was never of the age where I thought that Nelson Mandela was dead. Um, yeah. Though I, I, will I never say, did either. Um, I mean, he is now, I, uh, but at the time yeah, yeah 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 um one of the things that i regularly teach for one of my class materials is a speech that he gave in the 60s where he kind of like ends with i am prepared to die and yeah. uh, i think that that might be the source of all this that is just a banger of a speech though yeah um, i would yeah. say well he's um, he's uh got a, a handful of them um yeah, really, <laughs> all of this aside, as a historical figure and a, and a prominent figure in, in standing up for rights and all that, which we won't dive into here, but uh, pretty phenomenal human being. Um, I do think that it speaks, though, to uh, the bigger issue of like how memories are formed and what, what we remember and how reliable we are as narrators of even our own lives and our own experiences. It's It's very easy for our brains to be fooled. And uh, oh, yeah. and for us oh, yeah. to convince ourselves of something that we're right when we're very much not right. So, uh, Tasker, if you're listening, I apologize. Uh, I mean no harm. I think that uh, you're a wonderful baseball player, and I'm sorry I got that wrong. Uh, wait, are you saying that, you know, 
there's some relationship between being a wonderful baseball player and coming from St. Louis or coming from Houston? Is is there something I can read into here? Uh, no, it's not no. supposed to be there. That's that's not uh, that's not my intent. Although I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm I mean, wrong. Maybe my, my brain is doing something else to me that I'm not aware of or in control of. It's possible some sort of subconscious subtextual situation going on. Uh, with that being said, let's move into our numbers of the week, and I'm going to give these to you. They are 16 and 18. And I, we couldn't get too far into this episode without talking about this guy. And we might dive a little bit more into him as the episode unfolds. But that would be the number of home runs for Kyle Schwarber, 16, in the number of games that it took him to hit those 16 home runs, which is 18. So Schwarber now is top three in the bigs. Uh, Otani hit one tonight. Uh, we're recording Tuesday night. So he's the leader as of this moment. Um, so it's Otani Guerrero. Tatis now tied with Schwarber. So um, this is, uh, we, t- we touched on him a little bit again last week with Vlad when we were talking to him and I kind of asked who's the real Kyle Schwarber and, and Vlad was, you know, he's, he's a streaky player, but this is s- something extraordinary that, that he's done here, uh, that he has now more home runs uh, than some uh, in the last 18 games than some teams have is pretty remarkable. Um so anything that you want to mention quickly about Kyle Schwarber, or do you want to take this as kind of a segue into talking a little bit more about him in terms of our our kind of uh, show concept here? So I think I do want to throw in uh, some stuff that I don't think is fully related to the rest of the conversation I want to have about him, um, which is that, um, you know, we can talk about him in terms of like the sticky stuff and like what the MLB is now, but his like sudden being absolutely like the seemingly best power hitter of all time it seems yeah like, right is uh really fun for me as a kind of like long time committed i'm waiting for kyle schwarber to do this just a little bit more than he has guy yeah because i do love big beefy dads um <laughs> and also he's shown a whole lot of different like things beyond that for a little while throughout his career so this is like really thrilling also Again, because it's happening here in D.C. and Yeah, right, um, right. Now I get to consider, like, are the Gnats going to... Gnats. Um, are the <laughs> Gerardo Parra Baby Shark uh, version 2 Gnats uh, going to go on another historic run and win another World Series? I would love to make jokes about that all the rest of the summer. <laughs> so I need Kyle to keep this up. Yeah, I mean, it really is pretty remarkable. And even if he is a streaky hitter, this is this is beyond just kind of a, a uh, he got hot. So um, very, very oh, interesting yeah, to see sure. and exciting It's as a baseball fan, unless he's hitting them against your team or <laughs> you're playing against him in fantasy. Uh, this is it's pretty exciting just as, as kind of a baseball fan. Um, all right, let's segue into what we're going to talk about as kind of our central question. And, and I'm just going to be upfront that we have this kind of format, but I think that uh, on this episode, we might kind of come in and out of it a little bit in terms of uh, the way we normally do things, because there's some important conversations that we want to have and where they may stray a little bit from this, I think they're still worth having. But basically what we're really kind of uh, zeroing in on here is that um, – the dynamics of Major League Baseball in 2021 have changed. Um, the context has changed in ways from before the season and now a significant way midseason, um, which is making the league dynamic in the sense that it's not static. Things are moving and evolving, and it makes it, I think, a little bit tougher to be able to look at numbers and, and 
read them in a way that maybe we have been able to do in the past to be able to kind of look to what's going to happen in the future. So we know that the ball itself was changed before the season started. So there's Mm -hmm. that variable. Uh, We know that we only had a 60 game season last year. So people coming into this season and their level of preparedness and, and all of that is different. We've seen a ton of injuries this year that uh, are, are more so than in previous years. And now we have this mid-season shift in the um, the sticky substances situation with pitchers, um, which, I, I mean, I, I listen, I, I have been very vocal about how I hate what they've done and how they've changed it mid-stream here, but I do think that the pitchers that were really kind of in it were definitely taking advantage. They pushed it too far uh, and made it too blatant. So I get that there needed to be something, but I just hate a rule change or a a, a way that of enforcing a rule that's different in the middle of a season, the way they're doing it just vilifies it. I'm just going to make one quick point and then I promise I won't dive too (laughs) deeply into this rabbit hole that I've gone down. But the first player was suspended. Um, They, they sent his glove into MLB for analysis and MLB basically just said, no, no, the umpires ejected him and said that there was something sticky. That's enough evidence for us. So here we have a situation where the umpires, uh, they're trying to get a game played. They're not sitting there analyzing things CSI style on the side of, of the, the diamond. They're touching it and saying that that's tacky. We're going to eject you and we're going to send this off for analysis. And then MLB is saying, no, no, we don't need to analyze it. The umpires are judge, jury and executioner right there on the side of a baseball field while they're trying to get a totally different job done. And it just doesn't seem any kind of fair or just or reasonable or logical. Um, So this is a big deal because it's changing the way pitchers are having to grip the ball. Um, how they're having to throw the ball, the approach that they're taking with different uh, hitters and, and all of those things. So the this brings us back around full circle to the idea of um, what is the impact of all of this stuff that's it's like these moving targets all over the place on the league and the, the dynamics of the league, but also uh, some individual players as well. So yeah. I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to give you some airspace <laughs> and let you take this in a direction that you want to. We could talk about it a little more generically or we could dive right into some players, whatever you kind of want to do with that. Yeah, I, I think the thing that um, you kind of pointed out online that I want to circle back to first, because I think with uh, Hector Santiago, a person whose name I had not heard, I promise, <laughs> in the context of baseball before, um, this is all very... Um, like reminiscent of like the example that I brought up, uh, the Tarkanian quote that you know the NCAA is so mad at Kentucky they're going to give Cleveland State two more years probation. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could not have come up with a more Cleveland State pitcher in the entire league than Hector Santiago. <laughs> yeah. So we're probably going to see some um with some grudge or you know some i gotta be the guy who's the first one to get onto someone big yeah give someone big crap because i do think that's kind of how the ump show tends to work is that um you know you can spin it very often as these guys want to be on tv but i do think that there are a lot of umpires who think that doing you know like boundary pushing things sends a message that they are like obliged to send in some sort of way yeah maybe Uh, yeah, so if you see a guy like, you know, Angel Hernandez or... Who's, who's that? Joe, I've never heard his name before in any sort of controversial situation or manner. Yeah, Joseph East. <laughs> yeah, I think right. that's the name of someone. <laughs> we don't yeah. want to give it away. We're going to use a, we're going to use a, a pseudonym here. Yeah. An alias. 
So you might want to consider, like, is there a actual, like, purpose that these people may feel they have that is bigger than just, like, I want to be on TV? Because I think we have to, like, be honest with ourselves when we have this sort of analysis. You know, there are a couple different, like, groups of actors here. You know, obviously, pitchers themselves have a certain, like, be- like few incentives. The teams have a few certain few incentives. Sure. Like, the owners, separate from the teams, like, as a collective slash, like, major league baseball um, which I think are usually the same thing. That's how we usually think about it. Mm-hmm. Have one set of incentives, and the umps are not perfectly aligned with any of them. So um, we're but in a now they are, which... and I'm sorry, I don't mean to to ruin your train of thought, but we are in a situation where they've been basically empowered by MLB to make whatever judgment they want, and it'll it'll mm-hmm. hold. Like, so I just want to say this quickly uh, for the the uh, the pitcher that got ejected. We don't know whether he was using a banned substance or whether what he's saying is that it was a hot day, his sweat mixed with the rosin he's allowed to use, and it left this kind of residue that they decided was banned. It may not have been banned. He may not have been doing anything wrong. And yet, because the umpires erred on the side of quote-unquote caution, and MLB is just saying, well, they decided, so we're going to stick with that, there's no like recourse here. I mean, he's he got suspended. He's probably going to appeal that. But it just seems so unfair that the accusation becomes the evidence of guilt. That's That's not fair. Yeah, I think that like the what's fair, what's good policy, what should we expect from like a well-run organization that like is trying to align its incentives like everywhere, like those are difficult questions. And then they're also really, really easy questions at the same time. It's because of course this is being run poorly because that's (laughs) what the past has told us is always going to happen. Um, I want to actually kind of take this for a moment before I do get into what I think is kind of like some really interesting like statistical cans of worms that are being opened up here that are, are worth talking about for mm-hmm. like what the future of baseball might be as a result of this is that, like um we can kind of set aside the like not set aside but we can kind of look at separately you know is this being administered well versus is the idea behind this one that if it were being administered well um we could all be behind and i think that's one that some more people are kind of getting into like that we needed to nerf pitchers you know, it's like, the, did we need to move the mound back? <laughs> did we need to do something else? And here we've basically stumbled upon, hey, if we just played baseball the way we've been playing it um, pre-Spider um, Attack or whatever, right? Um, we end up taking functionally, you know, like a mile or two off um, to people's fastballs in terms of how it's perceived. You know, we end up back towards a version of the game that's kind of in the balance that we want. So if we had a situation where pitchers kind of kind of adjust naturally and you know we weren't having a lot of like the very obvious politics as a part of this right. and like also like the seeming unfairness of this all happening at once the the long run of this does seem like something that most people could probably get behind in some form you know even if that means like we can kind of agree at some point that like sunscreen or sweat and rosin is kind of like a there's a line there and as long as you're not like being caught with pine tar or like you know, synthetic glues and stuff like that. Right, right. You know, if there's a way for them to kind of enforce that, I guess that'd be cool. The answer, I think, is probably going to be like, uh, you know, import the baseball from, I think it's, I think it's Korea. I honestly, I can't remember where, where they've just kind of created a tackier baseball that's easier to mm, grab. Like, okay. that might be the answer. But one way or another, if we can like keep the game from having these like super outlier, basically wiffle ball sort of like style pitches, I think we end up with a world where, some really interesting things happen. Um, and where this relates to Kyle Schorber is, well, 
kind of staring us in our face. Uh, (laughs) I want to talk about some of the changes that we've seen from him uh, because they are very, very interesting. Um, Would you like to guess what types of pitches Kyle Schwarber is hitting extremely well right now? Uh, First, (laughs) first pitches. Um, Well, I know what you mean. The type, I know what you mean. I'm just being (laughs) cheeky. All of them is also Uh, cheeky. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I haven't really thought about it. But given the context and trying to maybe be a little bit clever here, I'm going to guess off-speed stuff rather than fastballs. <laughs> Too clever for your own good, clearly. <laughs> um, I actually want to credit this take um, to uh, someone who had this take very early on, and that is Foolish Baseball, mm-hmm. uh, who basically had the opinion. It's like, all right, it seems like Kyle Schwarber's like, kryptonite is always those like super high fastballs, which are obviously, you know, if you followed... Uh, a guy named Nick Pollock, something that we've seen <laughs> is a a good like template for how to be a good pitcher. You know, yeah, good hitters can't hit these things. Well, suddenly those like high fastballs are middle middle fastballs that are mm. very hittable, and um, the run value. I'm just going to use that as like a a, pr- a particular kind of like metric. Um, the run value that Kyle Schwarber has put up on sinkers and four seamers combined is at 17 runs. That he's setting at like a, a 2.5 run value per nine and four seamers and 4.2 in sinkers, which is like the best of his career against fastballs ever by a mm. lot. Um, because it seems like fastballs are suddenly not as good. Well, um, it makes sense because if, if even if they're being thrown harder or around the same velocity, this goes back to that concept that we've actually talked about several times that the spin rate uh, creates kind of a visual. Uh, Optical illusion may not be the right word, but uh, a right term, but it makes it look as though it is um, uh, coming in at a different uh, plane, on a different plane, right? It, it you, People kind of feel like it's going to drop, and the ride that you get from a, uh, a higher spin rate on their fastball really does fool the hitter's eye uh, to, a, to a significant yeah, it, degree. Yeah, it stays so, flatter, right? Yeah, so... Um, Basically, the way that I was reading this way back when, uh, you know, Saris wrote about it was that um, if you're throwing the ball at, say, 97 miles per hour with a lower spin rate, it's going to kind of appear the same as uh, maybe 94 or 95 with a higher spin rate. So velocity was not the whole story in terms of how it was coming into the hitters because of drop and, and the lack of drop with a higher spin rate. So if spin rates are down. Now it's kind of coming in the way that batters are used to them coming in. They're going to be able to probably uh, hit that harder barrel it. Uh, they're, anything in the sweet spot, they'll probably be able to, to you know, size up a little bit more. So that does make sense. I guess I outthought myself there trying to be one step ahead. I, was, I was thought I was playing chess, but I was just playing checkers, Alex. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's also as simple as like these pitchers expect their fastballs to be up. Their yeah. fastballs are not always up. So like right. part of it is that the place where he would be guessing these pitches to be, you know, they're not there for these pitchers. And uh, then they are suddenly in the seats. Um, right. It's it's not that that simple, but it is kind of that that simple for some of these guys. It seems like Schwarber, you know, I don't know if you can call him a veteran, but it, it does seem like he's been around for a, a bunch of different iterations of the game now Mm. you know he made his debut in 2015 he's spent a lot of time working on his game to kind of deal with this weakness and suddenly he's presented with a version of itself with where he a very talented person who can make adjustments clearly um suddenly is playing the game that is most suited to him uh, yeah like like ever basically and you know 
he's not the only one who's fully taking advantage of this, but he is definitely, I think, the clearest example of a guy who had mounds and mounds and mounds of talent and a weakness with his weakness just kind of suddenly being eroded. Um, you know, guys like Shohei Otani, who, by the way, has hit his second home run of the night now. Has and uh, since it's 28. <laughs> yeah. Um, someone else who I think is also benefiting from this yeah. change. Uh, you know, he'll kind of swing at anything. He's got great bat control. And, you know, these pitchers are uh, leaving a lot of very hittable pitchers in the zone. Yeah. I, as someone who watches every single home run he hits because he is appointment <laughs> television, I can tell you that he is uh, absolutely crushing some stuff that is being left in the middle of the zone. Um, so, so let me ask you this. Do you think that yeah. that means then that the use of these types of substances was a little bit more widespread and prolific, even amongst some of the lower tier uh, arms? Because if it was only the 50 or 60 guys that we kind of saw right off the bat spin rates drop really quickly, you would expect that Schwarber would still, I mean, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing now, but you would expect to him not to have gone from being basically um, useless is a harsh word. I'm not coming up with a better one in the moment to, to like uh, an absolute baseball God in the last few weeks. Um, um. You'd think that that would mean that even like the middle relievers or the fifth starters on teams were t uh, kind of taking advantage of, of this stuff, too. So one of the interesting things, um, obviously, we've been kind of using spin. And yeah. I, I want to talk about like how we use spin to answer questions here, because I think this is a great example of um, there is a statistical tool out there that answers your real life question. We do this because we are interested in the real life questions. We're not chasing after some, like, statistical, like, tail. You yeah, know? right. We're not right, just right, running right. in circles. This exists to solve problems. So we are using spin as kind of like the go-to measure to see how things are changing because we know that's strongly correlated with the changes right now, right? Right. Um, well, it's like, okay, how do we measure how much the changes are happening? Well, we can use tools like standard deviation. Um and I want to credit, you know, Saris and Max Bay, um, who, you know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, talks about when he talks about his like stuff versus command models. Uh, Max is a big guy, uh, a big part of that. He's a uh, really, really smart dude. So if you don't follow him, Choice Fielder is his uh, his handle. Um, yeah. But one of the things that, you know, pointed out kind of summarizing some of Max's data is that since the data or sorry, since the memo has dropped, um, 63 pitchers, which is 17% of all pitchers, basically, mm -hmm. they hit the sample, have dropped um, two or more standard deviations, which is like wow. 200 plus RPMs. That's like the spider tack level, if you will. Yeah, right. And then 145 pitchers, 38%, have dropped a full standard deviation. So that would be like the really regularly using and like on purpose using uh, some sort of sunscreen and rosin like intermediate thing. Yeah, right. And then... 60 plus percent of people overall have dropped enough for say something that's statistically significant. So yeah, it seems like something has been widespread and yeah. way beyond something was. That was well, the problem a, that got a whole a bunch of people fraction, inside yeah. one standard deviation from the mean busted on. I, I, I would make the argument that if you were operating inside one standard deviation of the mean, you were probably not breaking the unwritten rule. You're probably doing like the sunscreen sweat rosin thing, right? It's the people that pushed it to the two standard deviations by using like cement <laughs> or whatever, you know, to, to uh, um, aid their, their pitches that kind of now everybody's got to do nothing, which is affecting 
a much wider swath of people than were probably using the extreme stuff. Yeah. Now, I, I want to think then, how much is 17% of the league, right? That's a sixth of the league. That's like five full teams worth of like starting pitchers and relievers who were doing this stuff. Yeah. To like the outlier stuff. And where does that come from? Well, that's going to come from some organizations telling their guys to do it, but also yeah. some guys kind of just knowing maybe they go to like independent like pitching consultant stuff right maybe and this is really or maybe they've come through one of those organizations and are no longer there but right yeah i i don't have the specifics on who in front of me that exists we can find and tie those things together if we want up later just like yeah probably even more easily than we've tied up like the trash can bangs for the Astros, right (laughs) right and and i think there's some ethical questions there about how we consider all that but um you know I was someone who, um, mid to late April, I was like, what's up with the twins? It seems like they lost their sticky stuff guy. Where did he go? Because <laughs> people were not looking good in their organization everywhere throughout the rotation. And, you know, maybe the twins were just a little bit before everyone else and, tra- and knowing that they had to quit. Uh, because maybe. thing is, a couple years ago, 2019 season, they went from, like, kind of just okay to, like, super good. And then people they would bring in would... Do the same sort of thing. Yeah. And that's where you've got to really be interested because there's a lot of these. And this is actually kind of where I want to go in terms of like what I want to look for as we continue to go through here. There are a handful of like converted relievers who have had some just exceptionally good moments in the past couple of years who are currently hurt. And yeah. I got some questions about. <laughs> um, and this is the sort of thing where we're going to find out a whole lot about like some of like the magic processes that have made magically good players out of seemingly nowhere. Um there's been a lot of discourse about Garrett Cole, um, yep. not re- maybe fully reverting to his pirate self, but like, um, you know, we're going to have to continue to track how spin goes for him, see what kind of adjustments he's making, seeing where he lands. He had a really bad game against the uh, Red Sox the other day. Were you watching that one? I was not watching that one. No. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I imagine you did, though, see the clip later on of the home run that he gave up to Devers, where he kind of just like sits behind the mound after the fact. Oh, a yeah. Bit. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and not good. I, I think I think I've seen some Yankees reporters say that you know as much as I also like lost some stuff. He's had a good outing and shown flashes without the cement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so definitely a part of this is going to kind of cloud our ability to kind of track how good a guy going forward is that confidence and like the mental side of the game is also a matter of this. Um, and I think this is as good a time to any as any to remind people that like when you're doing like statistical modeling and stuff like that, obviously like. A huge problem with like modeling talent is that people make choices too. Right. Um, and I'm going to basically from here to the indefinite future be kind of lumping in confidence as a thing that I, yeah. I think we our models aren't gonna be able to catch. And here are just staring at our face, and a lot of these guys are just like, you know, they can still spin a ball, they can still throw it really hard. Yeah, um, they're good. They're like, good players. They where it's gonna go. They wouldn't have been in a position to be able to use spider tack on a with a, a major league club if they were bad at baseball. So um, you know, if they took it to that point or that was what gave them confidence, I mean, there's, there's a lot of parallels with this and steroids. I think too, that a lot of people even talked about how steroids didn't make people good at baseball. It might've shortened recovery time. It definitely, uh, maybe helped them add a little bit more muscle here and there, but it, it wasn't like they took some, it wasn't like a captain America situation where they took some scrawny kid from a, you know, a, a single a club and pumped them full of steroids. And suddenly he's Barry bonds. These are, these are people who are good at the game, 
but I do think it's really important if you people are made up differently and, and your um, your headspace has a lot to do with your ability to perform, not just in baseball, but uh, in any job, uh, with your family, with your friends, on a golf course, <laughs> whatever it is that you like to do. If you are having a, a kind of a, a crisis of confidence, it makes it a lot harder to be good at that thing. So if Garrett Cole suddenly doesn't have this thing that he's relied on that's made him feel as though he's untouchable, that could maybe be having even more of an impact than the lack of being able to use that substance physically is having on his performance. So uh, not to give people a pass who were pushing the envelope and taking it too far, but I I, I do think that um, it, it's reasonable to me that some of these struggles are, it's kind of like a doubling down. Like I, I don't have this stuff, so it's, it's affecting my spin rate, but it's also making me feel less confident. So I'm not going out there as my best self either. Yeah. And I think, um, it's going to be really hard for some people who just, I, I kind of lump some people together in this category. I, I wouldn't say first and foremost that, uh, Max Bay, who is for a long time and doing some really cool stuff doesn't fit into this category <laughs> but you know if, if you're someone who like knows how to use like r or python or whatever and you know how to run a, a linear regression but maybe like you don't got all of like the how to do models good rules down which is a whole lot of people myself included a lot of the time i'll, I'll be honest um i i think i often I, ru- I run a lot of bad calculations kind of on purpose just to see kind of what happens mm-hmm. um I think it's going to be really easy for a lot of people to turn out some analysis of like, here's the before, here's the after, here is exact, and then they reach the wrong conclusions about data that's going to provide some really murky conclusions. So I just want to say, we need to be a little bit wary of saying that like, sticky stuff is doing this to people's strikeout rates or how good they are. Because there are other factors like confidence, like the fact that basically people are learning how to be new pitchers again on the fly. Um, Garrett Richards is the name that we're going to talk about, I think, even more so than Garrett Cole here in the coming weeks about that. Because he's been quite honest about like introducing new pitchers, completely changing how he's pitching, because the model that was making him really good earlier this year is uh, basically, by his own mission, illegal. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've seen kind of bandied about this idea that, you know, people should maybe have like an extra minor league option so they can go down to AAA and kind of work this out. Mm-hmm. I think that, some Although that would probably just that? be abused, I'm, I, quite yeah, honestly, yeah. by the business side of things. But as an aside, let's remove that oh, yeah, for I'm a moment. That. Yeah, um, um, I, I think that that's fair uh, in terms of like, hey, we've said it's going to be this way. We've, especially from the MLB perspective, we've looked the other way forever. We looked the other way on steroids until people got mad, and then then we kind of stepped in and did something about it. Um, same sort of thing going on here. So if you're if you're going to change the rules midstream, it does seem fair and reasonable to give people a chance to catch up to that, uh, which is my biggest problem with it just happening on a Tuesday or a, whatever day of the week it was that, that they decided it was going to start. I mean, they're checking they checked a position player for sticky stuff. You know, like it's just it's it's absurd the the way that this is being kind of handled. Again, I know I've talked about that forever and I'll stop. But um I, I, I think, think it's the absurdity is important, though, because people are reacting to absurdity like as you'd expect. Right. How do you possibly know how to react when suddenly like everything you've known about yourself and how you exist within the game of baseball is changed? Like, right. Garrett Cole is obviously an outlier in terms of both talent and his reliance on foreign substances. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult for him to kind of get all of that together and at the end of the day, I, I would like to see a version of Garrett Cole that gets it together. 
right? And I, I think that we have to know that, like, this is going to be very difficult and it's going to be very telling, I think, among, like, media personalities, fan bases and everything else, how we react to, like, players that we want to cheer for, maybe even those we don't in terms of all this, because um, I think these people deserve to be treated as people this sure happens. uh yeah, people because it's, yeah. it's 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 absurd right <laughs> yeah and if you were somebody who was pushing the envelope in the context of it's okay to push the envelope then i mean are you really the quote-unquote bad guy of the story i i don't know i i am a very like do the right thing kind of person and and people who break rules and get ahead because they break rules past people who are rule followers it really irks me so my natural tendency in a situation like this is kind of to be like i don't care if you're breaking the rules like there's consequences you made that choice it's it's not fair to people who are following the rules but it, it just seems so unjust the way that the people are being asked to do this on the fly and especially with with a game where um, you know, there have been a couple of videos out there that I think have explained this really well in an educated way, well beyond what I know. The, the way that you, you, you let a ball come off your fingers or the way you put pressure on a ball uh, is different depending upon how good your grip is. And and people come saying, like, this is it caused an injury in me. And, and that's like a livelihood, right? And that could affect a, a contract or, or all sorts of things. I am personally hopeful that we've, gotten past the worst of it in terms of like that adjustment period for people though um i'm hoping it's not like a long like thing but i would think that like right after you make that cold turkey switch is probably when most people are going to have those sort of like sure that seems reasonable shocked yeah right i think that's so i'm I'm hoping that we kind of escaped out of this without like the worst of the worst for a lot of guys um i think this is probably also kind of a good time to kind of like take stock of like i think at this point we've kind of covered a lot of like the um ethereal sort of like here's the big picture and i'd like to kind of get into like which tools we probably need to be like actually using to evaluate some stuff and uh kind of seeing taking stock of where this all lands us right so um on the negative like it looks like tyler glasnow's injury is definitely going to be in the negative column i would also not be shocked to see that some guys who are currently on the injured list and have to come back from the injured list might have some issues and some Um, setbacks too yeah yeah i you know, I don't know that TJ Antone was doing anything illegal, but if you've seen his stuff, something seemed illegal about his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he came off the IL and is immediately back on with right. some arm trouble. And I'm a little worried. Um, I would love super dope TJ Antone to exist again. But, you know, you also wonder, like, what's going to be up with, you know, you can throw out all sorts of names. We talked about this last time. What's going to be up with Zach Gallon when he comes back? Yeah, or, right. I guess, I guess he's back now, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, what's going to be up with Jack Flaherty? Yeah. The guy who's always seemed like he's had supernatural slider feel okay is that part of it and it's like do we need to go accusing random dudes no but i do think that we are gonna have to have some unanswered questions for a minute but i do think that there Uh, are going to be people out there who maybe irresponsibly do start using some of this information uh, to come to like you said false conclusions and to make a name mm -hmm, for themselves mm -hmm. or I, I I don't I don't want to go after uh, the way that industry people do stuff. I think for the most part, this is a, a wonderful industry full of really um, well-intentioned people. Um, but I think it's easy to fall into a trap of well, very clearly this is happening. We're also getting to the part of the season where where these guys are playing games in ninety degrees. Um, when you have hot air, things are going to go further, right? There, there's a lot yeah, more of yeah, these yeah. variables that are happening. 
in baseball. It's there's so many of them at any given moment in terms of choice, talent, angles, temperature, wind. I mean, there's just so many of them that I think it's easy to get fooled. And and coincidence and causality is a really important element here. I think you need to be able to prove causality before you start throwing around accusations, um, rather than just kind of banking on the coincidence. In, in sort of the side of this is that like if guys say that like they have to change, um, I kind of appreciate that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of like a whole separate thing. Like, if we hear from Garrett Richards and people like him that they are changing how they play baseball and they're being for like just open and honest, I was doing this thing that you know, especially if you kind of sit in that like sunscreen and rosin right territory that one standard it's, deviation it's really, crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're in that in that crew and things are changing for you, I I think I can be really sympathetic, um, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to do that. Um. Now, I also want to check in on the other side of things, kind of like what sort of things we would kind of be looking for, right? So, like, we're going to take, if you take Kyle Schwarber as a model, you want to maybe think, like, is someone's newfound success maybe related to this? Um, there have been a bunch of guys who I think um, you can kind of run a hypothesis about whether or not this new game is suiting them, and maybe that changes how we perceive them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you think, like, who have been the guys who have just been supernova hot over the past month? And... Um, you know, a lot of them are not like just like the guys who have always been able to make contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some of them are, and I actually want to talk about this oh, an interesting outlier here, which is Jose Altuve. Okay. Um, you know, I brought him up earlier, um, and he, well, I think Otani might have passed him recently, but uh, he was second in the MLB in home runs in uh, in June, uh, as of a couple of days ago, he at ten. I think he's still a 10, so Tani may have passed him at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we know who's he's first. he's not one of the but... guys... Yeah, <laughs> he's not one of the people you'd expect to be at the top of that no, list, right? No, no, not at all. And I, I'm really interested to know if, you know, someone like him, who has a smaller and lower to the ground zone, is maybe reaping the benefits more of, again, people got not being able to throw up above his zone as efficiently. So he's seeing more fastballs kind of fall into his sweet spot yeah. than normal. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering if there's any sort of relation there. It's really going to be hard to prove, but um, okay, you know, well, he's so let me let me pause you there for a second. And let me talk you, th- or ha- ask you to talk me through. Like if you're gonna go and and analyze Altuve, what numbers would you use to look for that? Like would you look for increased contact on fastballs? Would you look for increased exit velocity on a certain type of pitch? Um, would you look for a spray chart change? What would be maybe the way you would dig into assessing whether Altuve just happens to be good in warmer weather or is had a string of facing pitchers that he happens to have some success against or whether or not this is like a an actionable change uh, because maybe pitches are coming in a little bit uh, more on plane for him? Okay, so the sort of questions that I would want to ask, though, is like, is Altuve better because he's better at fastballs all of a sudden. Right, right. Because uh, that's like a working hypothesis, right? So then we're just going to take that thread and we're going to run, where would we see improvements on fastballs show up? Well, I mean, things like run values based on pitch are a really simple thing. And like run values based on pitch type is a really prominent thing that shows up on StatCast pages. <laughs> and I think it's, this is a good use of that statistic to, to answer a problem. And lo and behold, what does Altuve's current like run values look like for sinkers and four-seamers? They're way above his uh, career numbers, uh, like, ever. 
Now, is ever, that ever. I'm going to ask a question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. So if you don't have the answer, we will all forgive you. Um, is that something you can look at in terms of like rolling graphs as well, so that you could see maybe or pinpoint a change? Like, yeah, if you're like trying to answer this question, like, all right, let's talk about June in particular. Um, I'm sure you can kind of pull it manually yourself if you wanted to. And that's the thing is like, I'm trying to avoid that answer, right? So what are some <laughs> other things that are going to be really easy for us to find? Well, you could look at things like, you asked me about exit velocity. I actually want to say it's probably not going to be exit velocity. It's like, how often are you making good contact? Not like, okay. how hot is that contact? Sure. Right? Fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah. So in particular, then another thing you might want to go look at um, is uh, Savant's got some really interesting like breakdown charts that are like um, by different like areas of the zone. Um, yep. So... I think that's like would a line drive percentage change say anything to you? Uh, um, if it was, I mean, you're you're looking specifically well, actually, yeah, against fastballs, kind of right? That, right? Yeah, right, yeah. So I think the things you're looking for is like how are you doing up in the zone? Um, yeah, right. So if you want to take the zone charts and just check out like what's your whiff rate in the top third of the zone? What's your you know you take things like your you can also look at location things. percentages too, right? So you might be able to look yes, and see how yes, many yes, more yes. fastballs are, are are coming middle middle as opposed to um you know middle up or middle in. Yeah, you're looking at that meatball rate. So exactly yeah. right. We're we're trying to find the data that would represent our eye test, and yep. that's always where you're starting from. You're not just trying to start from oh number bigger now and then trying <laughs> to backwards explain that necessarily. Right, right. Now, obviously, if if something's dramatically different, like it is for. Altuve and Schorber and a bunch of these guys where it's clear that the fastballs are the things that are changing. It's really easy to, if that's the first piece of information you're land, you're handed, like you can backtrack and get to a correct place. So, um, you know, these aren't the only guys who are kind of like looking really, really good right now. Um, you know, another guy I think of is like, uh, Ryan Mountcastle. We don't have a ton of data for who like Ryan Mountcastle is mm -hmm. uh, long term, but it would make a whole lot of sense that a guy like him, if he's suddenly facing something that looks more like the minor league pitching that he was crushing, yeah, it'd be good again. So, you know, there's a whole lot of conjecture we can insert into this. Um, I do good decision love making, this, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like a. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like good yeah, go ahead. Good decision making in terms of like building your rosters or managing your rosters or making trades, all of that really should be absent as much conjecture as possible. You want yeah. to try and it's find gonna it's going to be tough to to separate those two things out. But um, I do think if listen, if you hear a name and you hear somebody's conjecture, go do what what Alexander was just talking about. Look at those underlying stats. Look at those charts. Look at those parts of the zone. Look at which pitches, um, because you're you're going to see different uh, different things show and reveal themselves that are going to be based cause uh, have a causal relationship with this change rather than a coincidental one and that's i really do i i know i've said it already and i'm going to say it one more time i think that's really important things can happen at the same time that have nothing to do with one another and things can happen at the same time that are directly related to each other and it's really important to know the difference before you make a decision about what's really happening yeah, um, and I think we, we've talked about this a lot. It's like we want to know what types of wrong are the right. easiest to avoid. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, those of you at home, go ahead and send us also uh, um, an email or, or get, catch us on, on Twitter and talk to us about who you are worried about. Um, uh, let's get a discussion going. Let's talk about some of these things with some different players, not just the ones we pick for you, but the ones you actually want to hear about as well. Now, if we can kind of close this out on a kind of like bright note, 
um i would say before maybe we change gears and talk about some people who are angry um <laughs> <laughs> i would want to bring up that um you know baseball still does kind of look like good baseball right now um it doesn't look like disruptive chaos out there for the most part uh, a lot of these like checks for substances are happening between innings and for the most part they're happening in ways that are not obviously like targeted and disruptive it seems like people are adjusting and pitchers still look good pretty frequently you may remember that Aaron Nola kind of like tied the record for most yeah. consecutive strikeouts yeah that was amazing um, you remember i went to a 13 nothing baseball game <laughs> yeah the right. Orioles are a good offense they are not that easily shut out jose urquidy and somehow magically the rest of the astros bullpen who aren't always great has still managed to string together good outings there have been three like run in total baseball games that are still happening pitching still works people are still good at it. sure and yeah like we were saying before these are still really talented athletes they're just going to need yes. to adjust their game plans around uh, around this switch it's just again switching mid mid gear midstream it just uh, it just seems like it sets them up and it it at the uh, at the top of this, we were kind of talking about you know the the way things are doing and it happening poorly and badly, and I, maybe it's just the cynic in me, but I, I'm not sure that this is necessarily being executed poorly from the point of view of the people who are controlling it. That might be going exactly as they want it to, um, because the visual and the conversations that are happening are about these cheating pitchers and not. MLB completely removing itself from the responsibility of what happened, how we got here. And I mean, just blatantly saying, we're not even going to be involved in enforcing this rule ourselves. We're going to put it on the umpires and whatever they decide on the field is going to go. Like they're just absolving themselves completely of any investigation, follow-up or analysis. They're just going to go for it. Um, And uh, to keep their hands clean, maybe, or, or to keep the perception away from the fact that they were absolutely complicit in this all along. I, I don't know. It, there's that element of this, too. Uh, but let's let's move on here to our pass fail segment um, before I get going on a tangent that you guys have all heard and don't need to hear again. Um, and uh, talk to me a little bit here about the Yankees and Aaron Boone and what's going on with their season uh, they were projected at the start to be uh, a really solid playoff contending team, and they're not really finding the success that Yankees fans certainly would come to expect. Or I think any baseball fan would have thought going into this season. So talk to me a little bit about what's going on there. Um, so do you want us to have a rational conversation, or do you want us to have a Yankees fans conversation? Well, neither of us is a Yankees fan. Fan, and I think you can find that conversation uh, on Twitter without even trying. Uh, <laughs> so it'll come to you. It'll find yeah. you. Um, yeah, I, I want to actually kind of highlight the versions of dumb that made me want to put this on the rundown for the day. Um, we've seen th- suggestions like the Yankees' only card they can really play to reshape who they are right now is to trade Aaron Judge, um, and I want to just go on the record and say that that would be really stupid um there's um it's a, a comparison i saw someone make that i'm interested to see how you react to here just mm. to say that red Sox are good right now the red Sox tra- traded mookie bets therefore the yankees should trade aaron judge like that was it that was the full argument yeah okay um, i mean again that goes just, right back to coincidental versus causal yes the red Sox yeah. traded mookie bets they're not better because they don't have mookie bets that's ridiculous <laughs> it, it's it, yeah yeah 
I'm just kind of trying to figure out how much you, a rational person, can like cringe oh, at, the, at, the, at the sound of these things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it, it's because I, you know, I think highly of you that I'm torturing you in this way. But like, you know, think about it. it, it I, I want to kind of like re-unveil a, a, an opinion of mine, which is that like one of the most important things that many people think they can have is an original opinion. Yeah. Um, I really like it, by the way, when I don't have original opinions sometimes, because it tells me that like whatever weird processes I'm cooking up are landing me back where other people who do things in normal ways land. Sure. Uh, my priors are that trading Aaron Judge is probably a dumb idea. Um, and I don't think you have to get really all that outside the box in terms of like statistics to get yourself. Yeah, this there. is the wrong wrong time too, right? I mean, yeah. I don't, I'm not up on his contract and all of that. I think that there could be very well become a point where trading Aaron Judge makes sense for the Yankees, depending upon what they do and what deal they're going to get back and what all the particulars are. You know, it's kind of like fantasy when people are like, "Oh, this guy's off the table." Well, why is anybody off the table if somebody's going to overpay? Uh, why would you not take that deal? Um, yeah. So I, I think I, that that there is a world in which trading Aaron Judge makes sense, but it's probably the beyond two standard deviations kind of thing that we were talking about scenario. I would say it's almost like a Mandela effect world, if you would. Um, <laughs> at least yeah, at this the, point. The, yeah, and the particulars of like this discourse that I also kind of want to point out is like uh, – a lot of the kind of like it's very reactionary a lot of this discourse right. that i i try to avoid i think a lot of us try to avoid it, it's based out of like the yankees need to do something because of what's currently going on is untenable i do want to point to a couple of things that i think are uh actually bad that i want to point out um and kind of like ask ourselves how do we change that mm -hmm. um the first is that um the yankees don't have enough people who hit lefty um <laughs> That's just it. Uh, do you know how many home runs o Shohei Otani has hit in Yankee Stadium in the past two days now? A lot. Uh, was he up to four three. or five? He's, is at, it, he's at three. Is it just in three? The past two days. I thought. Uh, oh, yeah. Two days. Yeah. And he's like. I mean, on not that three in two days that, right? is a small number, right? But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was even more. Do you, do you know what side of the plate he hits? Yeah. From? Yeah. He's left. <laughs> right. That's it's why somebody obvious, actually yeah. tweeted that out. Like, how many would he hit if he played at Yankee Stadium all the time? Which I quickly scrolled by because the idea of Otani being a Yankee makes me a little sick to my stomach. But Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, him being an angel still makes me upset in yeah. some ways as well. <laughs> um, but, right. It's like, uh, go get Joey Gallo. Yeah. Go do it. Go do it right now. Go. Yeah. And it's it's pretty, pretty simple. You know your stadium is going to benefit you more. If you have more left-handed bats than your opponent, um, now you gotta have some righties, um, and maybe you gotta have some guys who can, you know, hit opposite field who are right-handed right right, right, as right. well. But they have built a lineup that basically plays in the opposite stadium that they do, because uh, their left field is not terribly friendly, um, and that's where John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge are typically aiming for. Sure. So there's just some like. Now, to be fair, both those guys are hitting the ball hard enough that I would be surprised matter, right? if yeah. there were <laughs> if there were a lot of home runs that wouldn't. You know, are are like wall balls that almost would be out if those those two guys are hitting the ball so hard. But I think that you're right in terms of roster construction. This isn't that shocking if you're if you've got a bunch of guys who are hitting it to the worst parts of Yankee Stadium to be successful as a hitter that they're struggling. Yeah, and there's some other like questions there as well. It's just like how do they target pitching this offseason? Well, it's like what what were they going to do? They they didn't have much. And, you know, it seems like the problem is kind of like a somewhat 
long term. They haven't made all of the smartest calls. Now, they made some like other calls in the recent years, changing their pitching coaching, which seems like it's reasonable. You know, they've had some guys in there, especially in their bullpen, who look really good, who are doing smart things. Um, they have had some yeah. injuries with younger arms, too, which oh, has yeah, been that, really, too. really it's, tough. It's like, yeah. it's like what, what do you do here, right? And then a lot of people are basically saying that, okay, as a result of this, and I think there are some changes they probably do need to consider here. Like, it, if you were going to say, you know, like, fire Cashman right now, what do you want to change? Right. And there are a lot of people who basically just want to go back to, like, 90s Yankees ball, where they just buy the whole league. This actually comes to an interesting point that I saw made in the past couple days. I sent this to you. Um, I've, I've seen, you know, uh, Max, or good friend, not Max, uh, uh, Max uh, Greenfield. Oh boy. Yes, Max Greenfield. Yes, uh, you know, prominent uh, Yankees reply guy who's not actually <laughs> in New York, uh, if you will. Um, you know, made the point that um, the Yankees are spending less compared to the rest of the league than they used to. Um, and that's because, you know, wages yeah. as a whole have been rising basically like with inflation. Right. But revenues have been going up way faster than that. So like the Yankees would basically be need to spend like about $500 million right now to be in line with what they used to be doing. So like when you get back to all this, yeah. who is at fault? Is it Aaron Boone's fault for not acquiring left-handed bats? Is it Cashman's fault for not acquiring left-handed bats? Maybe. Uh, is it Cashman's fault people are hurt? Probably not. Is it Cashman's fault that the uh, the Yankees aren't spending infinity dollars? Well, it's kind of ownership's fault there, and it's on purpose. Uh, right. So, well, and the the luxury tax rules are different than than uh, they're written that way on purpose. Right. Right. Well. Right. Exactly. So they put a cap on how much owners are expected to spend on the sport, even as res- revenues rise. I think it's it's so, it's impossible to flesh out and say this one person in an organization of hundreds of employees <laughs> is the solely responsible for the success or the failure of a of a team you can point to certain decisions and say that might not be great you could point to roster construction and say they probably could have done better um and i think that the true answer is everybody has a little piece of this that that team is good enough to be winning more than it is uh the team the talent on that team should be producing more why aren't they well is it park factor to a certain degree maybe is it injury bug sure is it is it just assembling a bunch of guys who are really good at baseball but don't really like playing with each other? We don't know what those personalities are like in the clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. or, you know, I mean, there's so many human factors in this game that could be contributing to it. It's, I think it's hard to just say fire Cashman. I, I know people love to get rid of managers and GMs because it feels – you know what it is? It makes people who are helpless feel as though they have something that they can do. That's an action they can take to feel as though they are they are initiating a solution to a perceived problem. But – if you're not asking the right questions and you're you're uh, solving the wrong problem, you're not really making any substantive change. You're just being reactionary, like you were saying. Yeah, and I think the important kind of takeaway for all this, for a lot of us outside of the Yankees situation, you know, because I think a lot of us want to say that we're better than like the <laughs> like uh, name with a bunch of numbers reply guys out there, right? Is <laughs> um, like. Okay, so what do you want to change, and like, how do we fix the problem? Um, if you want your team to like also make a sort of like, what what is a better version of this? Right. Who's the guy you want hired instead? What's the vision you want instead? Why do you want it? I think that kind of tells us a lot. I also think it's important to kind of just follow the chain of logic to figure out why you've ended up where you are. Is it, you know, like if you're in the Yankees case, like part of it is that the league has changed by design of ownership so that 
you know, at the very top end, they don't spend as much money anymore. Right. Uh, which means the, the Yankees days of old where you could just go out in one off season and get, you know, everybody. Um, that's yeah. what I remember as a kid. Yeah. Um, Although Those their most successful years, I would, design. I would yeah. say their most successful years were with a large number of homegrown, talented guys or, you know, guys like Scott Brocious, who weren't, they played as a team, they were cohesive, they came together that, yeah, they had a couple of, of bigger names and then they went out and yeah, there were a few years where they, they won with, with big name talent, but that was their approach for a number of years and I actually think they found uh, correct me if I'm wrong out there in Yankee land, maybe I am, but I, I think they actually found more success when they were working within their system rather than giving up the farm and spending every dollar they possibly could to bring in the Gary Sheffields of the world. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I think there are some other things we can consider, you know, for example, the Yankees do have, or had recently like more minor league teams cause they'd spent more money to just have more affiliates because they were willing <laughs> yeah. to, they were willing to use their money to accrue an advantage. Um, there are interesting questions about whether or not they should just stop caring about the luxury tax because they make so much money, not care so much about like a couple draft picks or international locations. If they can just go out and get the talent, you know, it's like, think like, um, you know, behind door number one, there's a boat behind door number two. It's a mystery box. It could be anything, including a boat. And the Yankees are kind of like in purposefully choosing the mystery box because it's cheaper when they go yeah. after those draft picks and international allocation guys when they have the cash to just go get the boat right right how right, they want right. today yeah um so you know if, if i'm going to criticize someone like them i want to use them as a model for like what the future looks like a good version a smart version of the yankees that knows who they are a team with more money than anybody they they should be competing every year right yeah although i, I like, don't the want them to, to break that system because the system was designed basically to try and prevent one or a handful of teams from being able to buy their way into the playoffs. And I don't think it's great yeah. for baseball for the, the uh, Dodgers and the Yankees to just suck up all of the free agent talent that they want and everybody else gets the leftovers. But I, I hear what you're saying from a team management standpoint, that's a totally different set of um, uh, goals, right? And, mm -hmm. and uh, objectives than from a, a league parity point of view. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to consider how we balance the idea of parity and players being paid what they're they deserve to be paid. Mm -hmm. Because one way to uh, to get parity is to just make it so that we can't spend as much, and that kind of sucks. Um, yeah, so I, I think this was kind of my my thought. And again, economists and and other people out there could tell me where I'm wrong, but I don't think it's getting owners to spend less money. I think it's getting owners to spend less money on a handful of guys. So that you don't have those fourteen-year, seven billion-dollar contracts, oh, yeah. so that those middle relievers, was, there's you. no money there for them or the minor league. You know, funnel some of that money down to so that yeah. it's yeah, there's yeah. less of a separation between the bottom and the top. I think is is where you can, or, and you can smartly do with other ways where like there are exceptions to rules about spending if people are homegrown and stuff like that. Yeah, so in the NBA, sure. you know you there are less repercussions for breaking over the salary cap. It's it's it behaves like a soft cap way. And we could talk about this for a whole other episode. <laughs> we do not need to do today. Um, you know, where they, they basically reward teams that develop talent and then keep it. That sort of thing would work so well in the MLB. And uh, you know, at every step you can ask yourself, what's the problem? How could we fix it? And if you keep your eyes on the prize in that sort of way, you can land on something that, that I think is not just like, okay, you know, 
let's fire them and bring back to the old right, things if you're right, the Yankees fans of on, on the online mentions or you know or if you're kind of sitting here mocking them but like still existing in a world where like you're pretty okay with some pretty dumb things we do where like we don't pay people money <laughs> to yeah. play baseball basically yeah yeah, yeah. so um yeah I, I think it's informative um i don't really want joey gallo to play for the yankees except for my teams where it'd be really cool yeah right it would yankees. be good for joey gallo uh managers. it would be good for him too also yeah I right think. sure i think he would make a lot of money for them and <laughs> i would be okay with that because he is a very entertaining baseball player um and also kind of a side bet uh, they could use some outfield defenders <laughs> yeah he's a pretty good outfield yeah, defender no it too. makes a lot of sense i would i would be shocked if they weren't kicking the tires on that um yeah but i yeah. also don't think one guy is solving this problem it feels like it's oh, not no, sure. it's not for really sure not. just a talent issue it seems like there's some other dynamic at play there that's mm-hmm. it's kind of in there yeah uh, they kind of quietly do have a somewhat um set in their ways old office and you think you know cashman's been around forever yeah people have been hired who are much more acquainted with more modern things than him. They have had to change in spite of him a little bit in recent years. So, um, you know, he's not exactly the most going out there and just saying launch angle 40 times in an hour sort of yeah, guys, yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the the Twitter guys like to imagine. Hello, um, my fellow GMs. <laughs> um, all right. I want to give you just a, a minute here to talk about uh, off the books. Um, oh, hold on a second. We, 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 this is pass fail, right? Yeah, it is pass fail. I, I've, 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 <laughs> we call it pass fail. I've stopped pushing you to a pass fail because so often you hate it when I do. So I was letting you off the no, hook. No, actually, I, I want to make a joke here, and I want to say it's an incomplete. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Always hedging. Always hedging. Um, all right, so off the books, and we're going to do this real fast because we're already past our hour. Um, but uh, I want to just give you some space to talk a little bit about an, uh, any updates or, or storylines associated with uh, all-star balloting and, and where things are at at this point. Um, it was uh, it was something you, you wanted to bring up, so I want to make sure you have some space to uh, to address that. Yeah, um, there were a couple of guys in particular that at the end of all of this finalists um, that I wanted to kind of just like say, here's where I was a little bit disappointed or here where it was pretty like pleasantly surprised. Um one of the things uh, that I, I really want to kind of like hit as like the, the primary thing is uh, the NL second base hmm. um, choices. Uh, so in my mind, the best second baseman in the National League is a guy by the name of Jake Cronenworth. Hmm. Uh, and he has not always necessarily shown that he is the best second baseman. But in my mind and in my heart, that's always <laughs> who it's been. Um, it's maybe a little because he's a secret pitcher and hmm. they don't use him as one. But, you know, it just really warms my heart to know that he's a secret pitcher. Um, And as a result, um, I'm really, really upset that he's not one of the finalists. Now, I'm sure the coaches could sneak him on there. They Mm. could sneak him on there as a pitcher, too, if they wanted to. (laughs) I think they could. Uh, And I just really want to say I'm sad about that. Um, That's, like, the primary thing that I cared about. We actually talked previously about how pretty much all the voting looked pretty good. Yeah, Um, yeah. I, there's a so, lot. Like, there's been been uh, some shares on Twitter of people who are trying to you know break the system and break the mold. And I mean, whatever to each their own. Um, and I'm sure everybody has their reason. If if it's not just I'm going to put out this crazy ballot because I want to get uh, a discourse going, or I want some action on my account, um, which is fine too. If if that's what you're doing, I, I don't begrudge you that. Um, but I really do think people have done a fairly good job across the board of of giving it to the right people. I mean, there's always going to be be players that feel snug. I mean, it's going to feel weird maybe to to have Kyle Schwarber be this good in June and, um, 
you know, and not and, being and not well, not even well, probably even have been considered, as yeah, as a yeah. starter, right? Um, because of when the voting voting starts, and and to be fair, how kind of not not all starry he was <laughs> for a while at the beginning of the year. <laughs> I mean, he's been two different players, um, and that sort of thing always happens. But uh, I think in the end, you're going to see uh, an entertaining group of guys. And I mean, I don't know. I I, I should probably ask you this: Do you watch the All Star Game? Or do you care about the All Star Game itself? So I think it's a really cool thing for a couple things i think the modern um home run derby is fantastic Mm. and i think they've done a fantastic job of making it uh television that is like worth watching uh because it doesn't just seem aimless right now it feels like it has direction um and i I do like the fact that we get all of these matchups really really quick it's like as a very highlights e-watcher let's be honest that's kind of how i consume baseball is i will sit down and watch some games but really i just watch a ton of highlights um it is a perfect weekend for me yeah um so i, I like it um you know, and i'm one of those thing people who also just like tends to care a whole lot about um how we rank and pick people yeah um, even when i shouldn't just because i do like to kind of watch how we do that because it tells yeah i, I, I can tell that you're definitely into the process i'm more like the actual game itself because i feel like like it's interesting oh, yeah, all like, the lead up I to it. I want to see Shohei Otani bat and hit in the All-Star game. Like yeah, I invested yeah, in yeah. that massive. You mean pitch and hit, right? Not bat and hit. Probably. Uh, let's let's do, all do all three. Yeah, why not? You can pitch, bat and hit. Now, I I I for me the All-Star game like when I was a kid it was like oh my god, it was almost like Christmas in July for me. And as it also mattered. Yeah. Right? It also affected Well, that, I I am old enough to remember when it didn't and then when it did and now that it doesn't again. <laughs> but it was okay. it was really really I didn't realize that was the case yeah. to really date both uh, of us here. It was uh it was really just exciting as a kid to see all of these p- people playing. It was like playing RBI baseball, you know, with the the all-star teams in there. It's just cool, like name after name after name playing. And I mean, I remember uh, Pedro and what he did in Fenway in, in uh, was it 99, I think. Um, it just really cool stuff. And the game itself I has become less and less appointment watching for me. Uh, it just has. But a lot of the stuff around it is, I, like the Home Run Derby is super entertaining and cool and fun and um, you know, I, I just, I, I hear a lot of people talk about the game as kind of like, meh, whereas, and maybe it was just because I was younger, I felt like a lot more people used to care about it and watching it and, and being ex- excited by it. Whereas now it's kind of taken on a little bit more of a novelty thing for a lot of people. But, um, I don't know. I, and whether you love it or you hate it is inconsequential. I mean, to each their own on that for sure. Uh, I was just curious where you kind of s- stood with it. Um, I think if we can kind of close on one final thing, um, the the jerseys they're bad, right? Oh my god, they're so bad, and and they've never worn. So they've had the All Star jerseys that have like the it's just the All Star team, the American and National League that they've worn for home run derbies and and things like that. But in the actual game, they've always worn their own jerseys with like an All Star patch. And this year they're going to actually wear the um, like American and National League jerseys in game, and I think that's actually kind of cool. But it's so upsetting that it's with these. <laughs> these are the ones that they're using. They are uh, they are objectively bad. Well, they're they're coming from Colorado. What do we expect? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, I just don't understand. Like, even from a design perspective, I, 
I'm not a design guy, but you, like it doesn't the, the two different logos on top of each other and the the I don't know it just doesn't it doesn't look right. Like they tried to make it look a little like a soccer jersey, and and they made it a bad soccer jersey. I don't know. It's yeah, like it's not great. 1996 but... World Cup vibes for sure. Yeah, American as, denim jerseys. Yeah, whatever. I, I that it really it's going to wind up biting them. I think because they're going to sell a whole lot less of them than I think they're going yeah. to. Um, it's, it's weird it's like there hasn't uniformly been bad merch this year um we've talked about that how we kind of like a couple of the different things i love the the boston like yeah 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 the, the city connect jerseys have uh, connect mostly yeah. been pretty good they yeah, put out some yeah, yeah, weird yeah. hats at one point that had like all these weird yeah, things that, on well it's them, like but... one of them is nike and one of its new era yeah and it seems like somehow these jerseys were made by new era i don't think they were but it, feels it seems like, like it. they were made as some sort of like like design final exam for a high school somewhere uh actually yeah, you pro- definitely get probably not giving enough credit to to really good design at high school <laughs> yeah that's for sure yeah you really get like graphic design is my passion vibes um from these um it almost feels yeah, like but the, in like the mixed like, lowercase caps that everybody likes to uh, do on twitter right uh oh no i'm referring to the the classic like old like microsoft powerpoint meme where there's like the um like the weird font um that that's snl made of one made fun of one time uh, i'm totally yeah. blank uh, it's okay it's all right um, we can yeah, talk about the little the paper clip that used to come up to try and help you <laughs> is that that's probably they, before they your used, time they could have used his help there for sure <laughs> i would the jerseys would have been better with him just on the, how can i help you make better jerseys um, all right. Well, that is going to bring us to the end of this particular episode. Please do find us on Twitter. Send us your comments, your questions. Bring up more of those players, like we said. Email us, uh, dugoutstudyhall at gmail.com. Um, and aside from that, uh, as always, thank you for joining me, Mr. Chase. And could you let the people know where they could find you and me? Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked mat. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.